There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everyone, this is David Kern. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. I won't keep you too long, but I did want to say a quick word from our friends over at Duke University's Arite Initiative. This summer, from July 9th through the 14th, they're going to be hosting the High School Summer Seminar on Ethics, Philosophy, and Religion on Duke's campus in Durham, North Carolina. This seminar is going to prepare high school students with a roadmap for approaching those same subjects in college. Using texts from literature, philosophy, and theology, the seminar will examine such topics as the meaning of virtue, the substance of human nature, the question of human flourishing, the metaphysics of reality, and the nature of truth. Students will also discuss the ideas of natural law, the relationship between philosophy and theology, and the relationship between science and religion. The seminar will be co-taught by several Duke University instructors and professors. It's open to current high school students entering their junior or senior years. There's no fee associated with applying or attending. Let me repeat that. There is no fee at all for applying or attending. And those admitted will be housed in the Duke dormitories and provided with meal cards. So again, that's no fee of any kind associated with applying or attending, and it includes lodging and meal cards. Pretty good deal, I think. Students interested in applying should email John Rose at John dot rose at duke.edu that's j-o-h-n dot rose r-o-s-e at duke.edu applications will be considered on a rolling basis until april 26 2018 and again that's john dot rose at duke.edu and with that enjoy your show Mr. Matt Bianco, so I'm told that we're going to do another podcast about reading. I was surprised because if you remember at the end of our previous podcast, yeah. I said, if David will let us, and here we are. Yeah, yeah, because he tried for weeks and weeks to, to prevent this, but somehow we've broken through. <laughs> that David Kern. For, forced him to hit the record button, forced him to take minutes setting this up. Hmm. Whole minutes. Minutes, <laughs> minutes. So why are we doing this again? Because people still don't know how to read. I don't. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm you not mean, saying you all mean of after our previous... don't know how to read. I'm saying. Are you trying to say that after our previous podcast, the whole world of reading wasn't made perfectly clear to everybody? Apparently, we left too many questions unanswered. What kinds of questions do we leave unanswered? Well, you said something crazy like, we should talk about how to read like a human being. What an idiotic Whatever thing that to is. say. <laughs> because, which is weird because you said is. that immediately after talking about that we need to learn how to read like a cat and the book becomes our mouse, but then the cat and the mouse will become friends. And it then sounds you said, like I would say eagle and, and mouse more than cat and mouse. You're, you're more of a cat person. I would have thought so too. The, Yet, you said cat and mouse. Is that true? Is, did I really true. say that? You really said that. That's pretty funny. Man, am I a genius. I know, not because I remembered everything we talked about in the last podcast, but because I just last listened to the last <laughs> three or four minutes so I could remember what our questions were. This isn't were. fair. You know what we're talking about now and I don't. Okay, so, so, then, so then that's why you've written these questions down for me to look at. Okay, mm-hmm. read like a human being. That's not a question. That looks like an imperative to me. Number two, what questions do we ask? When we're approaching a book. When we're approaching a book. My question would be, should I pick it up? Or while we're reading it, maybe. Or both. Why not both? Let's do both. Should I pick it up? Should I court this book? Should I kidnap it? Number three, how do we choose which to read? Right. That one is specifically about, in light of how many books are out there and how little time we have, how do we determine which books to read? You know, what's interesting about that is what you're asking here is, do you believe in censorship? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, in a way I am. In what way did you take it? Well, you would necessarily have, I mean, when you tell somebody to read book A, if in in a, in a world with limited time, yeah, 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 then you're necessarily telling them not to read book B. 
Yeah, in principle, right? Because you're saying make choices. Yeah. So then, are you in in that in that sense? Then maybe just in that limited sense, did you just censor book B? So then, this question becomes a question of assessment. It becomes a question of standards. It's a curricular question that any school has to be asking, right? A school a school will actually make a list of books that they're saying every single kid in this school, or at least in this class, every single kid has to read these books. Mm-hmm. That's kind of an amazing decision to make. Right. Happily, it's not a big deal. Because, I mean, what difference does it make, really? Just so long as they read. That's all that matters, right? Captain Underpants. What? <laughs> That's the okay, book I we're going to get I take it back. With. I take it back. I take it back. I take it back. So then, so then how do we choose? How does a school, if you were running a school, how would you choose what to read? See, you have to put it, you have to, that's a tougher question. Like, I I would rather answer the question from the perspective of, if I'm talking to my friend, Uh how, what books would I suggest to my friend? I'm trying to make it hard. And you're making it harder. I'm being like Plato, right? you, You can either have this perfectly organized soul that nobody can see and talk about that, or you can have this fever city that needs to be healed. And we'll talk about that. But the city is bigger. And it's got a fever, so it's easier to think about, right? So let's talk about the school where the fever has taken, and and now they have to decide what books... Well, really what I'm saying is, what books should every kid read? Because that's what the school is saying. Yeah. Well, well, what is the purpose of the school? Mm, To educate kids. Okay, what is the purpose of educating kids? Ah... Trying to play that game with me, are you? Um, you brought Plato. <laughs> <laughs> the purpose of educating kids is to cultivate wisdom and virtue. Maybe, maybe a way to get that a little earthier would be to say one of the purposes then is to enable them to fulfill their duties as human beings, as citizens, as family members, as community members. As, as, how do we teach them to do that? Um. How do we teach them to fulfill their duties? Well, I suppose first we have to identify the duties and then figure out what does it require to fulfill the duties. Is there, are there duties that are universal to all students? Yeah, the human duties. What are the human duties? Ah, okay. <laughs> Wait, okay. I know what human duty is. <laughs> I've had kids. I've changed diapers. Don't go there. There's, there's, <laughs> there's polite people listening to this, Matt. So, so human <laughs> people listen to this. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so. You have to behave. So, so human, the, the, the human duties, the human duties would be the ones that are, you, you know, all of us have these obligations. And I would say, I would say we all have an obligation to God, to man and to the cosmos. All, all of, all of that contained in our duty to God, because he, he created us to be stewards of the creation he commands us to, to love our neighbor, and he commands us to love him above all. So, so our ultimate duty, then, is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love man, to love our neighbor as ourself, and to, and to care for and tend this creation that he's put us in. Don't we have three different kinds of neighbors? Um, red, yellow, black, white. We have four kinds of neighbors. <laughs> um, don't we have... Three different kinds of relationships with our neighbors. Hostile, friendly, and what would be the third? No, because we have to love all of them. So oh. there can't be hostile. Okay. It can only be friendly. Okay. What are they? Well, in in one setting, your my relationship to you is that I'm an employee okay. of yours. Okay. In another setting, my relationship to you is that we are... Friends, okay, peers, in some sense, and in another setting, I am your superior. What? Well, unimaginable. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm not your for employer, example, by the way. Just your boss. For example, when I'm doing something on behalf of Cersei as a whole, yeah, you're my boss. Okay. When we're working on a project within the Lost Tools of Writing. Oh, curriculum. I have to obey you, don't I? I'm the boss. Okay. And then when we're outside of work, then I'm the boss then, just by nature. <laughs> <laughs> then we're friends. Oh, okay. 
when we're at coffee hour after church, right? We're, we're friends. Okay. And, uh, and so how I love you as my boss is probably different than how I love you as my friend and how I love you as my friend is probably different than how I love you when I'm your boss. Well, in every case, as long as you do what I want, everything's fine. Well, ultimately, because <laughs> your role as boss is bigger and can can sometimes override my role as boss, right? Because my division or my depart my the curriculum area is is contained within the the institute. Are you going to succeed in bringing this back to reading? I'm getting curious. Well, if my hu- I have human duties to God, yeah. I have human duties to the cosmos. Yeah. I have human duties to my neighbor. Okay. But I think we could separate the neighbor duties out in these three areas, right? I have human duties to my neighbors that are superior to me. Oh, Human okay. duties to my neighbors who are equal to me. And by superior, you don't mean in quality, you just mean in rank. Yes, right. To, to whom you report. To whom I report. Okay. And then I have human duties to those who are inferior to me for lack of a better term. That's really interesting because what strikes me as you say that is then we can assume that in every single occasion God is superior to us, above us, Mm -hmm. and that the the cosmos is beneath us in terms of rank. We're the boss. Mm -hmm. But with people, it's different. With people, people it's different. That's why we have a harder time getting along. Well, we have a hard time getting along with God because we don't like anybody being above us. But we have a hard time right, with people right. because we're we're wiggly. It actually requires negotiation. Yeah. Huh. This is really interesting. Still don't know what it's got to do with reading, though. Well, so then I have to pick, uh, if I'm picking books that help me oh, fulfill my okay, duties, okay. then I need books that help me to fulfill my duties to God, my books that help me fulfill my duties to the creation, and then my my I need books that help me to fulfill my duties to the three the three kinds of people I have to relate to that I have to love. What about yourself? Do you, uh, would you, you also have to relate to yourself or you have, your, your duty to mankind includes your duty to yourself, to your own well-being. Mm-hmm. Your, your wife depends on you being healthy, for example. Your wife depends on you cultivating your intellect to the, to the degree it can be cultivated. Your wife depends on your emotional balance, things like that. Yeah. So is that included? That would, I think so. Okay. But what would not be included? What kinds of duties are less than human duties or narrower than human duties? I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure what that question means. Well, because we started out by asking, what are the duties that are universal to all students? And you said human duties. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But is there another kind of duty that is narrower oh, that it would apply I to see. some students and not to yes, others? Yes. Okay. So, so. So, yeah, it would come under those categories. What I meant was, for example, we're Americans. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have a duty. We have a duty of citizenship as Americans. And I think that when I, if I'm deciding what my children are reading or what my school students are, are reading, I have to take into consideration these children are Americans. And if they don't know the American Constitution and the American story, good and bad— then they can't fulfill their duties as Americans. So in my particular school, what w- a- another duty that would be universal to my students would be the fact that they're, they have duties as American yes. citizens yes. or as American in- inhabitants in the American yes. realm. An accurate, an accurate self-knowledge of what it means to be an American, of the American story. Which might not be universal to another Correct. school. But in this. Well, my wife is Canadian. Okay, she grew up learning bits about America because, you know, America has the biggest broadcasting <laughs> networks in the world. So we make sure everybody hears a scream. But, but in Canada, she learned Canadian history, which is, you know, pretty boring. But she, <laughs> <laughs> but she learned. What that. have they ever done? <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing about that is I, I've, I've been study, reading a lot about the Great War lately. And the role that Canada played in the Great War is so outsized for such a small people. Like, I think their citizenship was 12 million. Oh, I thought you meant stature. <laughs> well, they were mostly Scots-Irish and, and English, so yeah, they were shorter than the Germanics. But but yeah, they were, they were so... Um, they performed at such an extraordinary level during that war. And, and that's something that Canadians ought to be very proud of. Yeah. Um, so there is... There is there is that which every country should be very proud of. Mm-hmm. We have plenty of things as Americans we should be proud of. 
And there is that which every country should be ashamed of. And we have plenty that we should be ashamed of. Like American cheese. Like, yeah, the only cheese really worth eating is Wisconsin cheese. Um, but or, or, or Swiss cheese, which is from New Glarus, Wisconsin. That's, that's an extra yeah. lesson for you people who just needed one. So, yeah, so, so, as, so you say, is there anything that's not universally human? Being American, okay? Now, we, you and I, are sitting right now in North Carolina, okay? I think, in my opinion, we owe it to our fellow North, North Carolinians to know how our government works, to know what's going on here, to know the story of North Carolina, okay? Um, and our children do. And we live in Concord, North Carolina. And I believe that it's our duty as con- Concordians, Concordites, as, as uh, con- people of Concord, it is our duty to know something of the story behind this city and to know how its government works. Right. So now, is that all reading? Y- yes, I think so. I think at least, at least everybody should read a short history book, at the very least, about the background of their city and their state and their country, but also everybody should know how the government works in their city. And let me just say this, this is an aside, it's not really about reading, but one of the problems I have with so much of what identifies itself as conservative thought is that, or even libertarian, is that it, it's, it's opposed to government as a concept. Yeah. Well, conservative thought has never been opposed to government as a concept. It's been opposed to massive government from a distance. And here's the problem. Modern conservatives are so opposed to the idea of government that they don't get involved in local government. The absence of, of, of conservatives in local government, and I'm using conservative in the sense that I mean it, <laughs> um, prudentialists. The absence of prudent people being involved in local government is what has led to the massive overgrowth of our federal government. Mis, misuse of local government and and lack of wisdom there is what leads to the federal. So so I believe that it's our duty in a federalist country to know state and local government to be involved in it. And that means being able to read newspapers and stuff. Um, however, I did not mean for this to become a political or historical discussion, but only to say those are some of our duties. It's also, we should also, we're from North Carolina, we should know some of the great writers from North Carolina. Thomas Wolfe, for example. Yeah. Um, who else is from North Carolina? It's a great writer. Thomas Wolfe's the only one I know. No, that lady from Nashville. Jan Karen. Who? Jan Karen. Never heard of her. She's not, she's not considered an immortal, but she's, she was really popular in the 90s and knots. Did you know that Babe Ruth hit his very first home run in North Carolina? See, that's what I mean. That's the kind of stuff everybody needs to know if about their North local Carolina. state. Yeah. yeah. Well, when I first moved to North Carolina, the, one of the first things I did was buy a book. I can't remember. I can't remember the exact title, but it was something like 10 Things About North Carolina History Everybody Needs to Know, huh. or Every North Carolinian Needs I, to Know. I bet I don't know them. And okay, now, that now, was in it. Now, if we focus on our duties in the social realm, this discussion becomes really political. But if we draw back a little bit and talk about our duties to God and man, you know, as humans or the cosmos, then it broadens out a little bit. And I would too broad. Pardon? Too broad. I don't think so because see the great thing about literature is that it's even more particular than history, right? Y- y- you take the story of of, um, of um, Scout Finch, Atticus Finch and Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay, not a true story, although based on a real you know cultural reality. Even more particular than any history book will ever give you. I mean, how many history books tell you about a rabid dog that gets shot by a, a local lawyer because it's coming at the kids, right? And then they discover, that's not, that's not history, okay? It's even more particular than history, but it's so particular that it's universal. And, and that's, the, that's where literature is, is so enormously powerful, is that it, in giving, in giving a, a, a fictional narrative about a particular person, a very particular person in a very particular context, because we live in a cosmos that's analogical and everything is like everything else, that degree of particularity both moves our hearts and makes it easier to see how that story connects to my story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yes, the 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 problem I think what what I meant by it being too broad is that if you if you're looking at the 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 
the more specific, the, the narrower duties, like mm-hmm, being an mm-hmm, American, mm-hmm. then I get, okay, yes, I need to read the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, Magna Carta, whatever. But also, um, but also not just the political documents, but the history, and I would add the myth. If you're British, you should know King Arthur. Yes, and we should know, um, you know, the I shall John not Henry tell a lie. and mm-hmm. yeah, the, Was- the George Washington, Paul Bunyan, Abraham Lincoln stories. Like we should know those those kind of uh, what we call American tall tales, right? Um, mm-hmm. Instead mm-hmm. of myths, but it's our mythology. But it's our mythology. So yeah, we should we should we should read those kinds of things. I should know the words to the song "Oh Susanna" and stuff like that. Um, but when you go into the realm of the more universal duties, duties to God, man, and creation, or cosmos, then what book doesn't teach me about those things? Well, that's gra- that's good. That's really good. Thank you. Pretty well any book is opining on them. And that's where you've brought up the question of standards. Okay? And, and it relates to the history and political, too. But the question now is not, um, are there books about it? But which one should we read? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, that's the crucial point here, is we should we should be reading the good ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hold on. So I'm okay. Even if we limited it to the good ones, even if we limited it to the great ones, there's still more books than I have time to read in a lifetime. So what? There's more water than you have time to drink, too? Yeah, but the question there's is, how do I... There's more frozen custard than you have time to eat. <laughs> Thank God, because <laughs> I come from an ice cream family. <laughs> oh. <laughs> The, uh, <laughs> but not frozen yogurt family. No, there, there's more Nobody steak. Eats frozen yogurt on there's purpose. more steak than you will ever have time to eat. The is that good or but bad? The, but the opening question is: in a world where there are more books than I have time to read, how do I pick which ones to read? Right. And is the answer it does, you don't pick? You just whichever one you have in front of you, whichever okay. one you can get your that's, hands on. That's good. So what I would suggest is is that when we look at our duties. And we've identified the ones that are really obviously necessary, like the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and the Magna Carta and King Arthur. Okay, once those are identified, then if a book is great and another book is great, who cares then? (laughs) I mean, now if we're... If we're talking about a school situation where we have to choose, I would say let the teacher decide it for, for, for his or her classroom. Um, some people would say, just pick the one you love the most. I don't, I don't believe that because my loves are too uninformed. But I would say the ones that are most revered by the masters of the craft, the ones that are um, highly honored, the ones that, that seem to promise the most. But if I'm choosing between two great books... And I choose the wrong one. Oh, well. It's like choosing, again, the food metaphor. If I have to choose between, between a very fine um, ribeye and a very fine steak tartare and a very fine uh, lobster and I choose the wrong one. So what? Unless I'm allergic to it, who cares? Okay, so that's that's fine. If I'm, it's very fine. If I'm approaching that scenario on my own, mm-hmm. and I come across mm-hmm. these three books or mm-hmm. these three foods or whatever, mm-hmm. they're all beautiful. They're mm-hmm. all great. They're mm-hmm. all amazing. And I pick one. It doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? I'm still enjoying some. In fact, unless in, you're allergic. In some sense, you know, <laughs> it's like God is God is. Um, you know, in, in Genesis when it says. Let's go down and see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's like that, right? I'm gonna go down. I want to go down and see what is Matt gonna choose. Mm-hmm. And then there's some joy that he takes as a father, right, in mm-hmm. seeing what his child. And he's done. not doing it to see if you make a mistake. He's doing it to see what it Absolutely. reveals about you. Absolutely, it's the joy of fatherhood. But sometimes it doesn't look like that. It looks more like this. My mother comes to me and says, "I've made you this steak tartare." My wife comes to me and says, I've prepared you this lobster. And my mother-in-law comes to me and says, what was the third dish? I don't remember, but it doesn't matter. You've mentioned the mother-in-law. I, I brought you this, right? <laughs> now You don't have to think about that. <laughs> now when I choose, I'm doing more than just choosing a great book. You're choosing the person who wrote it or get, who is giving it to yeah, you. Yeah, so, so what happens when 
this friend comes to me and says, you have to read book A. Yeah. And this other friend comes to me and says, you have to read book B. You decide which friendship matters to you. (laughs) (laughs) And there, okay, so see, to me, that's the crux of the question. Really? Yes, because the books are all great. Not necessarily equally so. Yeah, of course. For every person. But the books are all great. So then I choose... Based on relationships. Based on relationships. Based on the community that Why I'm not? in. Based on, so if I'm a close reader, yeah. God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm a close reader, then I'm going to read those books that I'm in community yep. with the people I'm in community Absolutely. with. Who are the other close readers? David, Angelina, Tim, and, and all those listeners. And why right? not? And why not? That would be a perfect way to choose my next book. Mm-hmm. If I'm in a book club in my local community or you my library, yeah. my church, whatever, yeah. then I read those to books. Me, to me, that that's that, yeah, I, that that to me is fine. If, if the community is choosing good books and who cares what the books are let's talk about them because they all are the book is like the the glass and the wine in it is the ideas right it's the ideas that you want embodied so i don't to me that's okay fine just read whatever the community says now if if we're talking about as a community leader what books do i choose that's a harder question right which so to me because of that mm-hmm. i have i have found it very difficult lately to tell people you have to read this book. Yeah, you shouldn't unless, tell people. Unless it's Homer in the Bible, you shouldn't say you have to read this. I, I actually agree with that. That and Maybe Virgil. As Westerners, if you want to be an educated <laughs> Westerner, the assumption here is that we're talking about people who want to get educated. Yeah. If you want to be an educated Westerner, which is to say be aware of your own heritage and where, why the world is like it is and why books are written like they are, right? seems to me you have to read Homer, Virgil, and the Bible. I agree. And Shakespeare. But unless unless I'm going to remain in community with that person and be there to discuss the book with them. I'm just kidding. I'm just adding for fun now. Although Spencer, yes. Can we do like a poly poly polygraph polyphonic podcast? You do one talk and I do a one and we see if it comes in harmony. (laughs) We just both talk at the same time. I don't know how how enjoyable that that will be. Because we're not jazz artists. Yeah, but we, we our thoughts are just so musical. <laughs> are they? Um, let's try it. You start talking. No, and... let's not do that. Uh, let's do it. And unless I'm going to be... you talk about in, your... Stop thing. it. Okay. Unless I'm going to be in community with that person while they're reading the book, I find it difficult to say now, you have to read. I just finished reading... Um, what's the book on my desk right now? A Gentleman from Moscow. Yes. I haven't even started it yet, but let's say I, I'm a, I've just finished it. I just finished reading A Gentleman from, from Moscow. I, I would find it difficult to, to tell somebody you have to read this book. You shouldn't. What you should say is this is a book that I loved, right? If you loved it. You should say this is a book that I loved. And then, and then if the other person says to you why, then you can explore whether that person would also benefit from it. Yes. But there's plenty of books that yeah. I've read that I would not recommend to just anybody that right. I wouldn't recommend to you because you wouldn't like them. There's plenty of TV shows. For example, the greatest uh-huh. TV okay. show ever made. Wait, and, wait, let me guess, let me guess. It's um, Endeavor, you know that. What? Okay. But I know but I know that to recommend that to you, it would just go right over your head. You'd, you, just, you don't have the antenna for that show, so I'm not going to bother. <laughs> It's personal. Reading is personal, right? It's it is. personal. But but here's the and thing: communal. It's it's personal and communal. Personally but, but, communal. But communal is personal, and and by mm. personal, I didn't mean individualistic. Okay, oh, good. good. I meant okay. I meant personal. Yeah. Right. In other words, it binds us with other persons. Absolutely. And so and so, when you choose a book, it it, it shouldn't be an act of tyranny. There there are books. Schools have to decide, I guess, what, what books they're going to make the, the, the kids read. And generally speaking, you should in a school, you should choose the books that have had an enormous impact, especially not just an, a vague impact on society. But, okay, let's say I am a painter who wants to become a great painter, and I'm studying painting. All right, as a painter, I don't want to look at mediocre paintings, and then imitate them, except maybe if there's some specific element. Okay, there's there's yeah, exceptions. Yeah. Okay, if I'm an athlete and I'm getting, let's just pretend, imagine that I'm getting good at basketball because of my height. Okay, and I'm becoming NBA quality right. at the college level. Okay, I, I'm going to be able to tell who I want to imitate mm-hmm. because I'm advanced now. 
But if when I was in third grade, my teachers started telling me to imitate people who were not good and had really bad basketball habits, I never would have got to that point. Right. So what we need is not to be just asking, uh, what had the biggest cultural impact? Although that's an important question. What we need to ask is, the people who are really good at that art, maybe it's sonnet writing, maybe it's drama, maybe it's uh, epic poetry, but the people who are really good at that art, what do they look to as their models? What do they sit in awe at and yeah. say, oh my goodness, how did they do that? And, and that's not hard to find. Mm-mm. Those are the books that are in the canon. The books that are in the long-term canon are not there for any other reason ultimately than that people who also wanted to get really good at doing that stuff found those to be the books they had to feed on. Mm-hmm. Those, are the, those are the most valuable. And that's because A, they're, they're, they're magnificent craftsmanlike, right? Their craftsmanship is phenomenal. And there is no other written text outside the Bible as phenomenal as Homer's Iliad and Odyssey in terms of just pure craftsmanship. And then secondly, the level of insight just you 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 hit a point in a great book you hit a point where you just say something miraculous happened when this guy wrote this book right and that's what yeah. we call inspiration what okay so in light of that then is it better and maybe i'm asking a bad question say so if i am you're asking oh only if you are okay it, only if i am okay. is it better to read as many books as I can? Or is it better to pick <laughs> the best 10, say, or 12 or five or whatever, I think and just reread those? That's really good. I think there's two things you need to be able to do to read well. You have to have some books that you read very closely. My, one of my favorite educators in the whole history of the world is Vittorino de Feltre. And he was a, a Renaissance educator, early Renaissance in... I think it was Florence, but it might, might not have been. He educated some really important people. And he was apparently a very godly man. And, and he had his students, his Italian kids, as I understand it, read a total, a total of six books. For in what, all, how in, long? In all the years he educated them. Right, from like, let's say, I'm going to assume 11 or 12 until they finished their high school education. It might have been from the time they were six or seven. So like 10 to 16, 11 to mm-hmm. 16 or something. From, yeah. For at least six or seven years and maybe 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. He only had them read Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, I think Horace and a few books. But you see, he picked only the best and people who read those books closely discover that whole worlds are contained in them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you don't need all kinds of you know children's literature and so on. Okay, now in our day and age, that would be really hard to do and and, and probably... Probably the reason he did that is because he knew they'd be reading on their own anyway. But the point is, people need to learn to read deeply. And you can't learn to read deeply without reading deeply. Okay, And reading deeply takes time, and it takes one text that you keep coming back to going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You have to keep digging. Mm-hmm. Right? This is why I think, I think Bible study is the most transformative experience any human being can go through, because every kind of thought... Every kind of writing is contained in the Bible, and you have to you have to learn to be so flexible. I mean, you know, you would figure that the, the the God who made us in His image would manifest the the glory of that image in all the disparity and all the diversity of the kind of writing in the Bible. It's incomparable in terms of you know a close study of the Bible, where when they're little they're yeah. memorizing passages, but every year, in my opinion, since we're onto this, in a school. Every single year, the children should read the entire Bible from, let's say, fourth grade on. In one way or another, they should be guided through reading the whole Bible. But they also should be going deeper and deeper and deeper into it and doing exegetical studies by the time they're in, say, 11th grade, deep analysis of a text, say the book of Ephesians or the book of Hebrews. Um, not not Revelation, because then the school would split in half or 14 parts. But, you know, in other words, you got to have that really close read. Okay, but... And Martin Cawthron, my friend, says, says um, you, how does he put it? I'm gonna, sorry, Martin. Something like, you can read almost anything in literature as long as you read a lot. Okay, that's, that's really badly put, so let me explain what I think he means by that. Is literature is, well, what he says is literature is dangerous, and the only cure for that danger is to read a lot. 
Hmm. Okay. And, and I think he's right that, that if you're too immersed in, let's say, let's say some kid gets totally addicted by Harry Potter and all he ever reads is Harry Potter. That's going to be harmful. Not because Harry Potter is necessarily harmful. I won't comment on that, but because to read a book that obsessively is harmful. And he, he might not have any familiarity with other witches in tradition, with other magics, right? And so he doesn't have a way to, 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 to think about all that. Would you say that's true of every book? Um, probably. Only pro- read the Iliad would this, be bad? Would it be harmful? Yeah, well, I think it would be. the Bible is harmful? Uh, yes, I've seen a lot of harm for people who only read the Bible. Now, let's qualify that. Okay, let's qualify that and say, if your goal is to be... Um, if your goal is education, you better read more than just the Bible. But also, even if your goal is godliness, unless the Lord only gives you the Bible, okay, then then you should be reading other stuff. But good grief, of yeah. course, there's some people who who just read the Bible with holiness and are you know really there. But most people at least need to read books written about the Bible. Yeah, that's true. At the very I mean, least, it, it would be harmful for. Some people, most it would people. Be har- it, it would be harmful for me. It would be harmful for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When I come that to the Bible, sense. I always come with all my limitations and by the grace of God, his grace and the Holy Spirit. Is there an exception? To what? Are there people who should only read the Bible? Is there any Is there any book that you could read that obsessively? That you could read this that book obsessively and it not be harmful? Jane Eyre, well, for I mean, example. <laughs> if, if even the Bible should be read as a member of a community, yeah. then I can't see how any how other book else would be an exception. Be. And the community, I really want to stress, that's interesting though. that you use the word community, because the community that you're reading in it, reading it in could be other people. Could be other books, too. Or could be other books. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you could draw an analogy here. Okay, let's say somebody in our audience really wants to know the Bible quite well. Okay, then the question becomes, should I just read the Bible or is everything a distraction? And my contention would be, there are other books that help you understand the Bible, but some more than others. Okay, so if I'm reading, if, I, if I'm reading a careless, popular um, Christian bookstore study of prophecy, it's probably not going to help me very much with the Bible if it's the only thing I read. But if I read that along with three other books about prophecy from various perspectives, it's going to do me the great favor of forcing me to go back to the Bible and compare all those texts to the Bible, right? And I think the same, a parallel happens with any literature. We can get so absorbed in in, in one book or in one form of, of book that we become unself-aware of our own limitations when we're reading the book. Hmm. And one of the great things that reading in community does, and by the way, well, let me finish the sentence. One of the great things that reading in community does is it humbles you and shows you that you miss almost everything when you read. Mm. And, and the reason I say that, because I remember when I was a kid, I remember this vividly, feeling this, that I would read a book from my British authors class, let's say, or my American authors, whatever. And I'd go, okay, I got it. I get this now. And then I would go into class the next day and the teacher would start explaining it or there'd be a discussion in the class and all kinds of stuff would come up that I'd never considered. Yeah. And I thought, at first, I thought, I don't know how to read. It took me, it took me a while to get comfortable with the fact that you can be a good reader and miss yeah. almost everything there, just like you can be a really good swimmer, but you're only going in one lane. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> That's another aspect that I found in the um, reading and community because I've done a couple of things, a couple of events now where we've where we've read books out loud as a group in a group. Ah, yeah. So like I've gone out to West Callahan's, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. you know, Summer Hill, uh-huh. Summer Hall, and uh, and then you're sitting around. We're reading whatever church father it was that year um, out, out loud in a group. And then I've done this at a couple other times at some friends' homes with other books. And what I've noticed and CSI and and I said yeah that's right at CSI with the at the Summer Institute yeah. with. Um, the Iliad Odyssey and the Aeneid, not in one year, right, but right, right. three different years. Um, and then this year it's Hamlet, right? Mm-hmm. So the uh when you're when you're reading the book out loud like that in a group, I've noticed that I ask different questions right. of it right. by by virtue of the the people who are there with me. That if I'm reading it alone, I'm asking one set of questions. 
But if I'm reading it out loud with you, I begin wondering, oh, I wonder what Andrew thinks of this. this <laughs> yeah, line, you know? yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And also even, it's. I think it's worth mentioning, reading it aloud is a different experience than reading it quietly. Mm-hmm. So, so I think one of the things we have to do with our reading is not force questions. Like one, we, we've got the, the uh, number two is what questions do we ask? And one of the things that I, I like that we haven't addressed that question yet. Because one of the things that you should do when you're reading is just read. Look at the page and let the words come into your yeah. mind and just read. Yeah. Now, when you do that, the author is provoking questions, at least in your subconscious, so right. I'm not opposed to questions. But I think sometimes what we do is we make it an analytical activity in the sense of the murdering to dissect analysis, yeah. right? where we, we put the book on the table and we murder it and we start slicing it up and no, I want to I want to play with my books first. I want I want to have a living puppy in front of me. I want to I want to come at it from different angles. And and that's my point here is that when we read, we should come at our text from different angles, different senses, okay? Yeah. We should we should sometimes we should one of the things I'm I'm reading right now the book Loris, which is the oh, Russian novel. You have to read that book. I love it. <laughs> I, I like it a lot. I'm on my second read, and when I'm doing this second time through, is is I'm every night at bedtime I read a chapter, and that's three to four, maybe occasionally five or six pages a chapter. And what I'm doing is kind of a, a Charlotte Mason thing, where I I read the chapter, and then I turn off the light, I lie down, and I recite it back to myself. Oh, nice! And and it is nice because because one, it puts me to sleep, but but second of all. It slows my mind down, right? But but then secondly, I'm feeling and remembering and visualizing huh. in a way I usually don't. Because oh, see, I was a terrible reader as a kid. I, I got good grades in school when I did my work, but I was a terrible reader without knowing it because I tried to read everything as fast as I could. For some reason, I got this value in my head that you should read as fast yeah, as possible. I did the same thing. What happened to me, because I don't have a good visual imagination, what happened to me is is I would read a whole book and never see anything in it. I could read J- Tolkien's trilogy yeah. and not actually see in a way of it, you know, people will describe for me the, the characters moving around, leaping off the page. I mean, I would, I'd get a sense or a feel, certainly. I'd get a vague, shadowy imagery when I look back on it. But this way of reading it is making me see things a lot mm. more. And I'm trying to. I'm trying yeah, to yeah. see the... The looks on the faces, like you know, and I'm try it. And what I'm saying is, is we should read all different ways. Sometimes it's fine to read fast if you're just culling information, or your goal is to beat your neighbor. You know, all the kind of false vices, vicious reading. But a virtuous read is going to be a, a read that's attentive and listening. And so that attentive reading means that your your senses are involved. You know, use your use your sense of touch, use your sense of of, of smell if you can. Use your use your Visual, you know, mind's eye for sure, um, but but use your voice, use your ear because you're bringing in voice and you know mm. that's two things then, and you know then everybody says I'm a visual learner or whatever you know well so what do the other stuff too I I am I would be described, do the other stuff especially yeah agreed because I would be described as a visual or audio learner yeah I would be a, I guess an audio learner primarily if they did that if I ever cared but. To me, that just means, okay, then I really need to work on this other stuff. And there are ways to improve mm-hmm. that. That's where questions come in, by the way. There are ways to improve that. So now, so my point here is to, to, is to, make, to make reading, have multiple approaches to the book. And if you have time, well, if you're reading so fast that you can't ever immerse yourself in a book, stop reading so much. That's what I would mm-hmm. say to that. Mm-hmm. A, you should always have at least one book that you're reading very closely. And you can read along with that, you can read a whole hundred other books very quickly if you want to. Introduce yourself to every friend at the party, but get to know one of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I like I like to um I like to I, I think a lot of people do this, but I like to keep a pencil nearby mm. and make margin notes as I'm going through on, on the books that I'm reading more closely, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And like to um you know you know in your Bible you got the the column there, reference column that tells you like, oh, this verse is alluding back oh, to yeah. this yeah, yeah. this Old Testament passage or whatever. Cross-references? Like, yeah, like a cross-reference index. I like to make that in my books. Oh, yeah. It's like my Iliad is, and my Odyssey are filled with references huh. to scenes before and after, uh-huh. um, scenes in the other book, you know, the opposite book, uh-huh. sometimes references nice. to scripture. Um, 
where the where the Odyssey is referring to scripture, or it says something that sounds a heck of a lot like scripture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I said heck of a right as I was about to talk about the Bible. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember reading in Plato's repo, uh, symposium. In um, I was in college at the time, and he used the phrase um, "the poor in heart," poor mm. poor in spirit. Mm. Now. It might have just been a 19th century translation. Right. But I asked the professor, so is this, is what, what Socrates is talking about here, the poor in spirit, is that the same as Matthew 5? And without any, you know, consideration or thought, he, he just threw, he, he said no. Huh. So I always wondered about that because yeah. the answer was so fast. It was almost like he was afraid it was. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but like in the Aeneid, when, when it says to that... Um, that Aeneas cannot carry the household gods to the new Troy mm. because his hands have been bloodied by war. Solomon. And you can't help but think of David being told, yeah. you can't build the temple yeah. because your hands have been bloodied by war. That's why Solomon has to build it. Nice. And it's like, it's like, wait, is that intentional? Is that, did Virgil know that he was, so, that he sounded just like David, you know, the... the or, or did God let it slip in by accident? <laughs> right, right. Or the, or the tongue of fire over over um, Ascanius's head. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and then, and it, you know, this is 70 years before Pentecost. Right. And he's describing Pentecost on yeah. his son's head, on Aeneas's head, or yeah. son's head. Yeah. It's like, is that... did? And see, you're pointing, now, now you're pointing to number two, and we should probably wrap up with, with this question, and, and I'll try not to do all the talking like I apologize for doing here, but you know me. But it says, what questions do we ask? Well, I want to replace that with with this way of putting it. What should we do when we're reading that helps us to see the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah. And that is, I think that, that, okay, God made us as his image, okay? That means that there's a source and there's an echo. Uh-huh. And I think that we, as echoes, love echoes, as images, we love images. That's why we love imagination, right? Yeah. We, we have an imagination. We, we think of that as creative because we're images of a creator. I think the most powerful way of reading is very simple, and that is simply listen for echoes. Listen for echoes within the story you're reading and listen for echoes across stories. And I believe that, one, I believe that that... that um, I can't say proves by any means, but it illustrates or embodies the truth that we are the image of God and that Christ is the desire of nations. Because you will hear the story of Christ echoed across every culture, across all literature. And to give a, a, a very simple example, you just kind of, you drew us to the Aeneid, so I'll, I'll draw on that. In Acts 2, um, um, Peter describes how Jesus, when he, de- when he died, he descended into hell, or into Hades at least. And while he's there, it says, it, he specifically ascribes this psalm that David had written to Jesus. He says, look, David's still dead. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And what he says is, he says, um, I, I, I rejoiced because you were present with me, right? It's Jesus talking. I rejoiced because you were present with me. And then he says, you have made known to me the ways of life. Well, I've always thought of that until about last summer. I always just thought of that as basically a, a comforting idea that, you know, the Father shows us when, when we're in despair, when we're in anxiety. Yeah. He shows us how to live, the ways of life. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is Jesus, who has died and is in Hades, you know, when he went to preach to the spirits yeah. in prison and so on, the Father shows him the way out, right? The path, mm. the ways of life when he's in death, mm. right? Now that to me, I don't know what that could possibly mean ultimately, but I can tell you that's echoed, right? Right. right. That's the point is it's echoed in Aeneas going into the underworld and then he has to be shown the way out. Yeah. Okay, Jesus has gone to be among the dead, and the Father shows him the way out. Okay, now, again, I'm not trying to interpret that. And it's the Father, too, right? Aeneas' father is the one who helps him find his way out. Whereas in the Odyssey, (laughs) Odysseus goes in amongst the dead, and it's Tiresias that helps him find his way out, right? You almost get the impression that our soul 
is in the image of God. Almost. And that, that image manifests <laughs> itself in our stories. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. And, and what, and what, what concerns me is when Christians are afraid to read the great literature because it might distract when in fact read receptively and read it as, 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 you know, read faithfully, you can, you can see in, in anything from any culture, you can see the echoes because the human soul is always yearning for God. He mm-hmm. is, as the prophet Isaiah said, he is the desire of nations. And we express that desire for Christ in everything we write and do, especially and it, the deeper stuff. And I, not to make too big of a deal out of it or to put too fine of a point on it, but you know, when, when, when the Pharisees are going after Christ about who, he, who, who are you? And then he says, when, you know, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this whole thing that comes up with the tense there. Right. Because it's, I am meaning I, right. I have always been right. And always right. will be. Um, when, when, it, when Isaiah says that he is the desire of nations, uh, it's not, he has been, he had been the desire of nations or he will be the desire of nations, but he is the desire of nations. Yeah. yeah. Meaning per- perhaps meaning that before Paul preached Christ to the Gentiles, he was already their desire. And so, huh. and so Virgil and, and Homer and, and all these guys can have these, they're pre-echoing. Right. Pre-echoing, yes. Anticipating. And that's why, and that's why Augustine could write the famous line, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee, O Lord. Well, if it's restless for him, then the restlessness for him, the eagerness for him, the, it's now, this is not in any way a denial of our sinfulness. Right. But the desire doesn't go away. It just can't find satisfaction. Yeah. Until Christ comes. <laughs> right? And and so all global literature before Christ is anticipating him. But I would say that even now you read the you read modern literature and what you're reading is either the sense of loss that comes from losing what you were looking for and found, right? And mm-hmm. going Right, or a renewed thirst for him. Right now, I mean, it's really nice when we can say, "As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after the O God." And we know that that desire is satisfied in Jehovah in His temple. Yeah, right. That's a great blessing for us. But for people who don't know that the desire is satisfied by Jehovah in His temple, okay, they still feel the thirst. Right. They just don't know. They just do it despairingly. So the, what we should do, and the question to ask is, what echoes do I hear? Yeah. Now, I got into the you know, highfalutin, or not highfalutin, but I got into the whole echo of Christ. But I think that's, we're going to see the echo of Christ anyway. But just listen for any echo. Yeah. Does the author mention water in six different passages? Why? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that... I, I think we can't help but to hear echoes. Yeah, because we're humans. That's what human beings do when they read. But what we do is we've been we've been shamed Ooh. into into finding false echoes. Like we work, we we've been shamed from finding the echoes, from acknowledging them as echoes. Because um, I don't I don't know if it's kind of like uh, you know this this anti symbolism okay, or okay. something like that going on. Okay. But there's this sense in which, well, in which, you know, people are like, pe- people have been told, we've been told for too long and we've said for too long that, no, that's not, what you're seeing is not a symbol of, that's right, not really a symbol, right? right? So now I'm now I'm right. afraid to bring up any possible yeah, but I'm not talking about echo or symbol or, or, but, but, but when, when we talk about echoes, some people jump right to that. Jump right to the symbol, and then and then there's the you know. And, and all I mean is the that, accusation. Gets all made, I mean right? is that there's a there's a repeated picture, sound, whatever. Right. Yeah, Listen for yeah, any yeah, echo. Right, right. Authors put echoes in their works on purpose. But isn't that what your what your professor might have been doing by jumping oh. by immediately saying no 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 that's not that's not ref, that ha, that's not the same poor in spirit. Maybe right because it, there's there's yeah, maybe That's I, interesting. We're like we're not allowed to see that as an echo. Plato couldn't possibly have been 
echoing right. Matthew. Right. That's ridiculous, you know. And and yet, um, unless it's unless it's you know some overly pious translator, yeah. <laughs> it it probably is an echo. <laughs> um, but then, but it can't be seen as one. Yeah, because there's some weird yeah fear that we have about that. Well, if we do, it's psychotic, literally, because yeah. because as I say. Authors echo on purpose. A rhyme scheme is a sound echoing line to line, mm-hmm. right? A motif is just, you know, you, you run into images that keep popping up in a book. The authors do that on purpose. They want you to notice it, okay? If, if, if he uses a word 17 times on a page, he's either a really bad writer or there's a reason for that. Right. So, and there's echoes of any sort. Like I can just hear people saying, well, what kind of echoes should I look for? Just the ones that are there. Any, anything that you see. But some of them might be thematic. Some of them might be symbols. Some of them might be motifs. Some of them just might be trying to get your attention on something. Yeah. I don't, I think like if, if you were to ask the question, instead of saying what questions should we ask, if you're saying what questions or or rather, maybe because what what it's really getting there is how do I become a better reader uh, yeah. by my questions, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then if if I were to say, but okay, now how do I do this? If I were to ask the same question, but now of my students or my children, how do I help my children to become better readers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would say the first thing you should do is not criticize their echoes, right. because the ch- our kids automatically do it. Right. Our kids automatically say things like that reminds me of this, right? And then and then I don't see the connection. And so then uh-huh. I say, what? Yeah. You're silly. Yeah. No. And celebrate it. Yeah. Right? Because they're seeing something that yeah. is, a, is a legitimate echo. And then you can get into a discussion of why does it remind them? Mm-hmm. Why do you think the author did that? Why do you think that happened in both places? And they might not have an answer, and that's okay. The good thing it's is okay. they noticed an echo. Yeah. If you notice echoes and over time learn to, learn to figure out why they're there, you're a good reader. Mm-hmm. And and you might very well become a good writer because you'll know how to use echoes now. Right. And I can't emphasize enough that I'm using echoes in a very, very, very broad sense. Right. To the point of where somebody's probably going, well, this is this is stupid. I wonder if we to thought... To which I respond, yeah, I said it. <laughs> I wonder if we, if we, if I just consider like the people that I think are the best readers, hmm. like the most brilliant you know people who speak on literature or books you mean angelina of course yeah what is it about her that makes her brilliant she sees echoes and that's what it right it's almost always going to be that is the people that i find the most brilliant or that we as readers find the most brilliant are the ones who are pointing out echoes to us that's right and that means pay attention right and learn how to compare and so on so that's where you could ask a question like well how does that compare with this or how is that like this that can help you yeah but what i what you remember the talk that angelina gave a talk at our conference at circe conference a few years ago about feminism and as i recall maybe i'm mixing my talks up she she gave a talk about um the gospel i guess she gave it as a different talk about the gospel in literature well what's she talking about she's talking about how the gospel is echoed in literature yeah Right, right, right. And 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 people came out of that talk. I remember people coming out of that. And by the way, if anybody's listening and hasn't heard that talk, get on the Circe website and, and, and download it. I don't know the name of it. But <laughs> um, ask everybody flood David's email box with, <laughs> with requests. How do I get this? David at Circe. <laughs> yeah, David at CirceInstitute.com or org. Um, but she was, she was showing how the gospel is echoed in everything and and why wouldn't it be mm-hmm. right the gospel the gospel is echoed in everything yeah the heavens declare the glory of god right earth is full of his full of his goodness it echoes it he is the desire of nations yeah huh. yeah That's and, I, and i and and here's the just this is my last thought and then i'll let you close but i think that this this is valuable for the christian uh student because Frankly, we spend so much time making our students on edge about losing their faith that we communicate a lack of confidence to them. Whereas what we can easily do just by looking at reality is rejoice in the expansive greatness of our Lord and Christ 
who owns, possesses, and rules over, and governs, and makes us a blessing of all things. You know, and why do we not let him, why do we set aside whole domains like literature and music and whatever and say, oh no, that's too dangerous, you can't go there? Well, just don't let it take possession of you. No. But it's Jesus's. Right? So, I mean, enjoy it, it's a gift. Yeah. We are like an hour and a half over time. Really? Yeah, so I'm, so I'm going to stop now. You okay. can keep going, but I'm going to stop. No, I'm done. I've said everything I have to say. <laughs> there, there are no words left. I used to have I words. I sucked I have them all, all the out words, of the atmosphere, but... didn't I? You're fun to talk to, but I'm going to go now. Bye. All right. See you. in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.